0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. Good morning, everybody. I am excited to be here to worship with you guys today. Uh, For those of you who I haven't met yet, my name is Nick and I'm the the youth pastor and the compassion pastor here at our East Lincoln campus. And even if I have met you, I felt the need to make sure that I shared that because as I was... Uh, getting ready for today, I was looking through my notes yesterday, and I just started thinking to myself, when was the, when was the last time I was actually able to, to engage in the adult service? Because usually, uh, especially during 9.30, I'm down the hall with the students, so I was thinking about when was that, and I realized that it hasn't been since November of 2019, So we are coming up on two years, which means that uh, I look a lot different. This thing was not here uh, back then. Uh, I grew whatever facial hair I could uh, out. I actually think I I grew it out, got rid of it, changed my mind, got back into it. So uh, I I looked a lot different. So I felt the need to make sure you guys were aware of who I was. And for those of you I did not meet, uh, it's great to officially meet you. Um, we had a student, we just got back, like Lisa said, from kids camp, and we had one of the girls from the Cornelius campus that never taught to me, never seen me before, and she's like, he looks like he's trying to be Lynn manuel Miranda, but he sounds like Ray Romano, and I can't quite make the combination. <laughs> so uh, for you guys, I don't know if that's a, a hard thing to look at or a hard thing to listen to today, but just bear with me, because this will be a one show only. Um, because Pastor Stan, as you can see, is not here, After service uh, last week, he actually left for a planned three-week sabbatical. Uh, So during that time, this week and the next two Sundays, we're actually going to be able to go through an entire series together, a three-part series, and you're going to hear from me today, but you're also going to hear from two other guest speakers in the next couple weeks. You're going to hear from Pastor Trish from the Kids Ministry and also Pastor David Berry from our Cornelius campus. So if you're someone who doesn't like change, if you're someone that likes routine, likes schedules, Likes to know what's going on, and you're like, I want Pastor Stan back, I know what I get on Sunday mornings, bear with us for three weeks. It's going to be a short stint. We're going to get through it. It's good for him. Or if you're someone who uh, likes the change up, likes things to be a little bit different, Welcome aboard, consider this your summer tour, and we're going to finish it off on a strong note with that 7-Eleven night of worship, so it'll be a fun time for you guys. Um, But with that said, like I mentioned, we are starting a brand new series today, and the series is called Don't Drink the Poison. And if you're anything like me, you might hear that and you're like, oh, that that can mean a couple of different things. That can go a couple of different directions. But I just want to reiterate the poison that we're talking about drinking today is the poison of offense. Everyone say offense. Now, raise your hand real quick if you have ever been offended before in your life. And if your hand's not up, I'm offended because I feel like you're lying to me right now. Offense is something that we've all had to deal with, we've all experienced, and it's something that can really bother us. Um, But offense can be something really small, really simple, something that we just kind of get bothered with during the day and then it just kind of brushes off. Um, Thinking of myself personally, a couple of, you know, I I would say dumb little things that might offend me is if there was a Red Sox fan in here today and knew I was a Yankee fan and came up and was like, hey, did you catch the game last night? Well, the Yankees lost, so I'm like, that's offensive, don't do that, that's really rude, uh, really rude. But uh, another thing, I, if I'm having a conversation with someone, and they put this strand of words together, it's probably the most offensive thing they could say, it's, oh, I graduated from Florida State, right off the bat, I'm like, this conversation doesn't need to continue, we're done, we don't need to talk about it, that's just offensive. But those are just a couple of little things um, that could be bothersome during the day, but Offense could actually take a whole different shape, and especially if you're on social media. How many of us say that social media can be a place that is very offensive? We get on there, I mean, we live in a day where we have the world at our fingertips, right? We're, We're connected with a lot more people now than ever before. And with social media, we have the ability, everyone has the ability to have their own platform. And when people have their own platform, some way, shape, or form, they start to think, oh, that means that I can say whatever I want. And not only can people say whatever they want, which is fine, it's their right, but then I sometimes think it's my responsibility to go make sure I know what everybody else is saying. And before I know it, I can find myself getting offended by stuff that I have no business knowing about. But for some reason, we can't get away from our phones and we can't disconnect and we go on there even when we know We might get offended and we go and we click the clickbait article, whatever it might be, and it just bothers us. And that's a little bit more of a serious offense, but I think offensiveness can happen even at a higher level, even at a deeper level for us. And that's the offense that we get from personal, intimate relationships. When we're connecting with the people that we are closest to, the people that we care about the most, who might end up saying something to us that they might not even mean to be offensive by... And yet when someone's near and dear to our hearts and they say something that bothers us, it offends us more than anything else could. And we might try to tell ourselves it's not a big deal. We tell ourselves, oh, I can just brush that off. And yet we're losing sleep about it. You know, we can't stop thinking about it. We can't get away from what that person has said to us. And the next thing we know, it's eating us up inside and we can't shake it from our lives. See, big or small, I think the thing that we all have to realize is that we can be offended and we can't shake it. And we have to ask ourselves, well, why? Why am I offended? Why do I let this thing that someone says bother me so much? And it's not really profound or anything like that, but I think the answer is simple. And it's just simply that we're not perfect people. I mean, how many of us in the room can say, no, I'm perfect. I'll answer it right now, none of us can. I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, and so when two imperfect people interact with one another, we open ourselves up to say something the wrong way, touch on a subject that we don't realize a history or a past about, and we can just rub one another in a way that is just downright offensive, and sometimes it's small, but sometimes it's really big and bothersome. And the thing that we have to realize is that offense looks different for every single person in the room, right? Like we all have different triggers, things that bother us in certain ways. We have past experiences that bring stuff up and we all experience offense from different things and in different ways. But what is common amongst us all is that we all deal with being offended. We all deal with being affected by the things that people say more than we probably should allow it to happen. But I wanna change the narrative or the way of looking at offense for a second because, I mean, like we've been talking about, it's gonna happen. But I wanna encourage you to think about it like this. Instead of just struggling with the idea of being offended, we have to realize that the offense, the imperfect dynamics between us and other people is really just the cost of something that I think is near and dear and special. And it's the fact that we have the ability to be in relationship with one another. That we have the ability to actually connect with other people that are different than us. That we get to be in relationships with everyone else around us. Because relationship is a very good thing. I mean, if you think about when God uh, was in the garden and he creates Adam, he looks at it and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. So what does he do? He creates a woman for him to have a relationship. We talk about being in the image of God and being a reflection of who God is. God in and of itself, is a relational being, right? We talk about him being three in one, the the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In and of himself, he is a relational being. And so in and of ourselves, we are relational beings. We get to have relationship with God, and we are called to have relationship with one another. So relationships are a great, special, valuable gift. And so in order to have that gift, because of the fall, because we're imperfect, we also have to deal with the fact that we are imperfect, we're sinful, and we might offend one another. But the offense is something that's worth having for the sake of relationship. I mean, it's easy for me to say that because I know I'm an extrovert, but even if you're an introvert, even if you're someone who likes to get away, get alone once in a while, I think we all realize that there is something special about relationships that we can't shake. If you have your notes in front of you, you'll notice uh, the first line in there is that when you have the blessing of relationships you have the opportunity to offend and you have the opportunity to be offended. But the thing that we have to realize is that it's not so much the offense that happens that's important, but it's how are we going to respond to the offense? Are we going to move forward with bitterness, with hurt, with baggage from what someone else might have said? Or are we going to walk away from it, allowing it its own particular spot in our life, but still being able to walk away with freedom? with the ability to still be confident in who we are, how we feel, and what we know as truth, rather than letting an offense take over our mindset. If you notice, we have our our little science experiment here. It looks straight out of Harry Potter. But let's say hypothetically that this this is an example of the poison we're talking about not drinking, right? This is an example of an offense. And the only reason it's in the room is because there's multiple people in the room, right? The moment we start having relationship with each other, we allow the opportunity for offense. But if I was in here by myself, if you guys weren't here, let's say it was Thursday, so no one comes on a Thursday, let's say the room's empty and I'm in here by myself, this little jar of poison isn't in the room. But I'm an extrovert. My wife will be the first one to tell you that. I love hanging out with people. I might be able to go a day, a week maybe if I'm camping, but any much longer than that, I know I have to connect with someone. So the first thing I'll probably do on the workday, I'd probably text Kurt. I'd be like, Kurt, what are you doing? You're not doing anything. Come over to East Lincoln and come hang out over here. And so Kurt comes in and he's here and we're hanging out and everything's going good. But then let's say Kurt says some kind of dumb joke. Let's say he makes a remark about my golf swing being bad, even though he knows that's not true. Boom. The moment he says a joke that runs me the wrong way, we have an offense in the room. That there's something about the dynamic between us that makes this thing possible. But if I'm over here and I'm not allowing it to be a part of what I'm doing, it's not bothering any of us. But let's say the jokes keep going. Let's say Kurt might be striking a nerve that he doesn't know about that's really bothering me. All of a sudden, my, my perspective starts to shift and I start realizing that jar over there in my peripherals. And he says something a little bit more offensive or something that bothers me that cuts really deep and then next thing I know, like, I see it in my vision. And I love Kurt, but let's say, like, I love my wife Natalie more. She comes in the room and she says something that just triggers something, something about me, something that's personal that only she knows about. And it bothers me, and it causes me to be more and more aware of the offense in my life. I get on social media, I'm looking at things that people are saying, whether it be politics or X, Y, Z, and I'm just allowing myself to become more and more noticeable about what's going on. And I have other family members come in and they say stuff. And there's people that are just saying things that they might not even know they are offending me. But yet it is bothering me more and more until I eventually find myself right here. With it right in front of me. But as long as it's right here, it's still not doing anything to me. It might be something that I'm aware of, but it is not affecting me in any way, shape, or form. But the moment I might decide to drink the poison, the moment that I decide to consume it, then it's no longer just an event in my life. It's not something in my past that just rubbed me the wrong way, but it becomes something that's a lot more infective, a lot more detrimental and something that bothers me a lot more in my entire life. And that's what we would call bitterness. Because bitterness is not just having something happen to us, but bitterness is what can cause us to respond differently to the people around us. In your notes, it says, when you drink the poison, it often, the offense, excuse me, allows for bitterness to take place. And when we allow bitterness into our lives, it can grow in our soul and it can manifest in ways that we wouldn't expect it to. You see, rather than responding to people that we love in the way that we would want to, the way that we normally would, we start looking at them with a lens that really is consumed by the poison of bitterness. And then everything might change from that point on. Now, when we're offended, sometimes we're able to ignore it. We can look away from it. I'm looking over here. It's out of my eyesight and I can brush it off and everything's fine. But there's other things that bother us. There's other relationships that we have that we could be right here in front of it. And I know that it's bothered me in the past. I know that I should avoid it. I know that I shouldn't allow it to affect me the way that it has before. And yet as much as half of me wants to say no, the other half of me finds itself right here and I end up drinking it and I end up becoming bitter or bothered by something that I never intended to. Or even worse, there's even worse than that. Sometimes we drink the poison Sometimes we become bitter. Sometimes we are allowing what has happened in our past to affect the relationships around us, and we don't even know we've done it. That we look in the mirror and we think everything's fine, that everything's okay, that I'm not allowing it to bother me, but everyone else in our lives, everyone else in the room would say something different. That there's a hindrance, that there's a disconnect, that there is something that is causing some kind of shift or a rift in the relationship. And if we're not careful, that might not only affect ourselves, but it might have an effect on everyone that we come in contact with. And I don't know about you, but I mean, looking around today, looking at last year and this year, there's something about what's going on nowadays that it seems like people are just on the verge of being offended and becoming bitter about everything. It's almost like, I mean, I'm sure we can all think of those people that we come in contact with and you almost, you almost try to avoid conversations with them I don't know if it's a coworker or a family member or whatever it might be, but we almost want to avoid talking to them because we know anything we say could just be taken the wrong way and they're offended and it turns into a big blow up. Maybe there are those people that think the same thing about us. That we're just hoping don't bring that conversation up because I'm just going to lose it. Yankees baseball right now, am I right? No. But stuff that is much more serious than that but I think the thing that we have to realize is that there is a hope for something better, that there is a way that the church is called to be, that there is a thing that the Holy Spirit is doing within our community that says that we don't have to live the natural way that society might want us to live, but we are called to something better and something much more important and something that is capable of being done because of the God who has died for us and the God that lives in us. Amen? So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about that hope. We're going to be talking about what does it mean to be a church that doesn't allow bitterness to become a part of who we are and doesn't affect the relationships that we have. So today, what I would love to do is just help us to kind of start planting some seeds. And when Pastor Trish and Pastor David come, we're going to see some examples in Scripture where we actually uh, see how people handle being offended in the Bible. Some of them good, some of them bad, but we're also gonna take away some helpful steps that we can take to make sure that when we come across people that might offend us, we don't have to necessarily allow it to impact our lives in a negative way. So if you have your Bible today, uh, I'm gonna ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And Hebrews chapter 12, verses uh, 14 and 15, if you don't have your Bible, it'll also be up on the screen. But this is really the crux, this is really the heart Of why this message came together, why this series has come together, because in this passage, we see the writer calling the church to live a life that is different than what the world around us calls us to live. And just to give you a little bit of context of what's going on, the people who are reading the book of Hebrews are Christians just like us. They're people that know what they are called to be like as a church, but they are discouraged. They're dealing with persecution. They're dealing with a community that doesn't think that Christ is the risen Savior, that doesn't want them living the life that God calls them to, and they are being beaten up by it. The title Hebrews also says that they probably come from a Jewish background, so they're thinking to themselves all throughout this persecution, I should just revert back to the way I used to do things like maybe this faith, maybe this belief in Jesus isn't worth it because obviously it's not working in my life. Obviously it's not making anything easier. So why don't, why don't I just go back to the way things were? But the author of this letter is encouraging them to remember, hey, everything that we know about Moses, everything we talk about in the heroes of the faith, none of that can compare to what Christ has done on the cross. That everything up to that moment was leading up to that moment because that's the most powerful thing that could have happened. And that is what God was planning all along. So that as believers, that's the faith that we have to continue to hold on to. And so the author is encouraging the church, motivating them, reminding them of the greatness of our God, and also giving them to some instructions so that they can remember the things that they're supposed to be doing. Remember to be in community with one another. Remember to hold on to the faith. And it's in those reminders that we see what he's talking about in these verses. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses uh, 14 and 15, he encourages the readers, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So in this charge, we see him saying, make sure we don't allow for any bitterness in our lives. Make sure that we live holy, but also make sure that we're striving to live in peace with everyone. And when we think about that in the context of being offended, by knowing that we can control how we are, but we can't control how other people are, there's some key things that we can take away from this passage. And in your notes, you'll notice you have two kind of subcategories because really, when you think about offense, there's really two parts that we have to consider. We have to consider the fact that offense can happen, that people can say things to us or we can say things to other people that is offensive. But then part two is how are we going to respond to it? After that moment, what do things look like moving forward? And that's what we're gonna talk about in these last few minutes. So where it says, don't drink the poison. Once we experience offense, there are some key things that we have to take away and realize about it. And the first thing that we have to realize, it's kind of what I've been hitting on this whole time. The point number one, it says offense is certain to happen. With the exception of realizing or coming to the conclusion, I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to see anyone ever again. I'm going to go into my house, close the doors, and not communicate with anyone. Unless we're willing to do that, which is not a good idea, we are going to be in relationship with people and we are going to have the opportunity to be offended and to offend others. It is certain to happen because it is part of us experiencing the relationships that we are called to have with each other. Because as people and as the church, we are called to be there for one another, to love one another, to encourage one another, to support one another, to be there for each other, which means that we have to be willing to deal with the fact that we have the opportunity to be offended. And I think the thing that we have to realize is that even though that might happen, it's worth it for the sake of being connected with other people. And point number two, just because you have the right to be offended it doesn't mean that you should act on that offense. It doesn't mean that you should respond to that offense. You see, we can't change the fact that there are things that are going to bother us. We can't change the fact that there are things that are just going to rub us the wrong way. But we can change the fact that we're going to allow that to negatively affect the way we communicate and be in relationship with one another. That's why going back to verse 15 where it says, It says, that no one falls short of the grace of God and no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile any. You see, when he talks about the bitter root, he's not just talking about what's happening in us internally. Because what does the root do? The root is the center from which fruit is produced from. It's not the other way around. So what he is saying is to make sure that we avoid the bitter root so that the things coming out of us aren't affected in a negative way. And the author who wrote this knew that this is what God has been calling his people to do all along. Because what we also see here is a reference to the Old Testament because when Moses was talking to the people of Israel, Which if if you aren't familiar with the Old Testament, we know before Jesus, the people of Israel were the people that God said, I have chosen you to help save the world and it's through you that I am going to work. Which means that he was also telling them, you are called to live differently than the rest of the world. But Moses uses very similar language because he tells them to make sure that they avoid a poisonous root of bitterness as well. And what he was making sure they, he, they were doing is making sure no one with negative intent, no one with a bad impact on the rest of the tribe should be a part of you. Because if one person is allowing bitterness to cause struggle in their life, it is gonna infect and impact everyone around them. And I think what's hard because you might be asking yourself, are you saying that I'm responsible for the other people around me? To an extent, I'm saying yes. That there is something that we've missed in realizing that when we become a part of the family of Christ, I am responsible for you and you are responsible for me. And there's also an extent that we all have to worry about ourselves, which is why we're talking about this. But I have to be aware and make sure that I'm paying attention to how is my life affecting you? Is it affecting you in a negative way or is it affecting you in a positive way? A positive way that is glorifying to God's kingdom. And even though the author is talking to the church and talking to Christians in this passage, I would argue, and don't, this stays in the room because I haven't done enough research on it, but I would argue that there is a very missional component to what the author is saying in this. Because even though he's talking about how I, as a Christian, connect with you as a Christian. The fact that Jesus died, rose again, went to heaven, and we're still waiting for him to come back means that there is still a purpose for us being here right now. And that purpose is how are we reaching out and impacting the rest of the world? And what the scripture teaches us is that the way that we live our lives, the way that we interact with one another, the way that we interact with the world should communicate to the world that I don't know what that group has, but it's something different than what I have. And I want to be a part of that. And that thing that is different is the fact that we have a God that understood that we were imperfect, that understood that we offended him. And yet he loved us enough to respond with love and to die on the cross for us. It's not about us acting right in order to accept God's love. But it's about realizing that God loved us enough to die for us and then we respond to the love rather than the offense of other people to be able to live that out to other people. So that in that moment, in that interaction, people might get a glimpse of who God is, which is what the church is called to be as a light to the world. That just because we might be offended doesn't mean that we should act on that offense. And number three, anyone can give you the opportunity to be offended, but you get to choose if you live offended. That's why I love the fact that we're having the conversation. That's why I love the fact that we are doing this entire series because we get to learn how can we respond in a way that is going to be glorifying to God as opposed to being glorifying to myself and glorifying to other people. How can I continue to love others even though I might be offended by them? And the thing we have to realize is that there is a choice in that. That this isn't, about, uh, this isn't about being justified. It's not about saying, oh, you don't deserve to act on that. You don't deserve to be offended. Because at the end of the day, we all get bothered by stuff. We all struggle with things. And sometimes we're upset or offended and we have the right to be but it's a personal choice. How are we gonna move forward? And point number four, like it says, it says, if you play the victim, you stay the victim. You see, the thing that we have to realize is that in order for this poison to be in the room, in order for the offense to turn into bitterness, before it's going to affect you, it's gonna have to infect me first. That if I continue to want to kind of hover over it, it's not going to do anything to anyone else in my life until I allow it to have a negative impact on me. And that isn't to discredit anything that we go through, but it's to realize that God calls us to something different. That God calls us to live to be able to put that behind us because that's what he was able to do when he went to the cross that in some way it's our opportunity to live out the characteristic that God calls us to. Not that we're going to be perfect, but that we can choose to respond positively to him. And so those are the things that we have to learn about, right? Those are the things that we just have to accept about the fact that we're all going to have to live with offense. But point the next three points in that section right there where it says right responses when wrong, how can we deal with offense in a positive way? How can we deal with people rightly moving forward? And this comes right out of the passages that we just spoke. So what I would encourage you to do throughout the next couple weeks, as you're thinking about, well, who's rubbing me the wrong way or who am I rubbing the wrong way? As we're positively thinking about how we can change that stuff, I would encourage you to write these verses down. Stick them in your mirror, stick them in your car, because it's two verses. It's two verses that take you 10 seconds to read. And I encourage you, if you can just start your day off with reading those verses, And start the day off with switching your mindset for how God is calling us to respond to people. It will have an impact on your life that you cannot even imagine. But what are the things that God's calling us to do in these passages? Number one from verse 14, to work towards peace in every situation. He's not saying to work towards peace with other Christians. He's not talking about working towards peace with other Democrats or Republicans. He's talking about working towards peace in every situation. It doesn't mean I'm not gonna be bothered by you, but how are we gonna walk away from this dynamic to make sure that the relationship is still intact and not allowing the relationship to suffer because of what's happened? Work towards peace in every situation. Number two, from verse 15, choose to take the high road and to give grace. Everyone say that word, grace. Grace is one of the things that I, I think is so important and yet the thing that we can overlook sometimes. I forgot the message to this earlier, but I think it's so important. But when we talk about grace, we're really talking about living out the things that God has called us to. Live out the things that God already has. To extend forgiveness to people who, who might not even deserve forgiveness. But as I was, I was, I just found myself in class the other week and, and I heard this stat and I was like, oh, that is so relevant to what we're talking about today. So I just wanted to share it. But um, Barna, who if you don't know, they're, just a, they're a research company who does a lot of research and statistics for Christians. They did a partnership with a man named uh, Jack Alexander who's an author, he's a writer, and um, he is also, he's the chairman for a group called Reimagine Group. But they did some research together, and they were kind of figuring out what's the pulse of the, the American church, right? And listen to two statistics that they brought up. They found out that 30 to 40 percent of Christians in America have somebody in their life that they cannot forgive, not people that they're saying, oh, I just haven't forgiven them yet, but people that they say they cannot forgive them. 85% of Christians in America would say that showing mercy, meaning showing people forgiveness that might not deserve it, is not a personal responsibility of theirs. That's not something that they have to deal with. and I hear that and that's just so disheartening because it's the opposite of what scripture is calling us to do. But I also think what what a what an easy strategy for the enemy to have. For the exact characteristics that God went to the cross with with grace, love and mercy are the very things that his church in this country are saying those aren't things I have to bother with on a day-to-day basis. Of course, those would be the things that he causes us to avoid, which means it also is an opportunity for us to change the direction of where the church is going. To be able to live a life closer to what God is calling us to. But it causes us to be willing to extend grace. And finally, point number three from verse 15, don't allow offense to create bitterness. Don't allow what someone says to you or what you might feel to affect the way you move forward with. Kind of like what I mentioned before, to to drink the poison of offense would be like me being poisoned, but expecting you to be the one to die from it, right? That's not how it works. I have to die with it before it can affect you negatively. And the only way that that can happen, the only way that you'll be affected by it is if we're in relationship with each other. And if we're in relationship with each other, we have to own the fact that we're gonna be offended. And we have to own that there is a better way to deal with it than what culture calls us to. I wanna finish with just a quick quote um, from a book by Tim Keller. And this is a book that uh, my small group read couple of years ago, um, I can't remember how many years, but we read something in it and it just spoke out to me. It, it stuck in my mind because I'm saying to myself, this is the mission that God has given for his church. This is a way that we can see offense and say, this is an opportunity for loving another person. And this is what he says. He says, why did Jesus have to die? Couldn't God just forgive us? This is what many people ask. But now we can see that no one just forgives if the evil is serious. Forgiveness means bearing the cost instead of making the wrongdoer do it so that you can reach out in love to seek your enemy's renewal and change. Forgiveness means absorbing the debt of the sin yourself. Everyone who forgives great evil goes through the death into resurrection and they experience the nails the blood, the sweat, and the tears. Colossians 3 says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You see, I think the hard thing about this conversation is that we want to walk out of here thinking, oh, that's, that's easy. Like after I feel hyped up from worship, it's like I can go and do that, that's no problem, but that's not what we're saying here. We're saying that the call that God is giving his people is one that is hard. It's one that's not natural. It's one that we want to fight with everything in us because we are hurt. But the thing is, is that we have to realize that we're not called to forgive someone without being forgiven ourselves. What we're called to realize is that we have already been forgiven by what Christ has done that we have caused offenses to God in ways that we don't even understand. And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Christ rose again, and he's coming back. But until then, there is a hope and a mission for the church that we are called to live out. And it's a mission and a hope that is worthwhile that is glorifying to him, that is better than anything we could imagine if we decided to stick in our bitterness. might not feel like that in the moment, but it is worth it in the end. And that's what we get to talk about over the next couple weeks, and it's what I'm so excited for us to be able to address. Because even though it's a heavy conversation, we all have these, these thoughts going into our head we know, we can tell the people that are bothering us. We we all have a picture of someone showing up that we probably wish that we weren't thinking about right now. Or we might have a picture of someone that we are bothering, that we are offending. And it's a tough thing for us to think about because we know that that's a hard thing to have to experience. But the hope that we have is realizing that we don't have to do it alone and we don't have to figure it out by ourselves that we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives to do something that is so unnatural for us that it must be supernatural because it can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we can hold on to. So as we close today, will you guys pray with me real quick? Lord, we just, Lord, we love you for the fact that you do not just forgive us, but that you also call us and help grow us into people that you called us to be. Lord, that we don't have to live in the pain, in the suffering that we experienced in the past, but you allow us to walk out of that stuff into the future that is connected and glorifying to you, Lord. That we are made complete because of what you've done in our connection with you. And God, over the next couple weeks, as we go through what might be tough conversations, Lord, we are thankful and we come to you open-hearted and open-minded for what it is that you might be teaching us. Because ultimately, we know that it's not anything that we're going to do, but it's about the opportunity to see you at work in our lives. That to live without offenses is our opportunity to live out a love that is sacrificial for other people. That people may see how we respond to them and see you through that. Help us to become more and more like your image, God. We love you. We thank you. Your name we pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.